What does this mean? Martin Luther asked that question 500 years ago to help regular people connect to the Christian journey. In the next few minutes, the pastors of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul will talk about some of the Bible lessons that we read in church, connecting a 2,000-year-old book to real life in the 21st century. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. And I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. We decided to do this podcast because sometimes the Bible is really clear and easy to understand, and sometimes it's really obscure and doesn't make any sense at all. And we want you to know that we have the same struggle with the Bible, and um, we're hoping that the conversation that we'll have here today will invite you into that and uh, help you make a little more sense of the Bible, even as we try to make more sense of it ourselves. So just as a reminder, we are in the Easter season, which lasts for about 50 days. And you may have noticed if you've been to church that the color has changed. We were purple through Lent, and now the color of the paraments and the vestments is white. And white has been the color of baptismal garments. Uh, white has a sense of purity, being clean. Actually, you can use gold during the Easter season. When our 10th um, graders from Mount Zion were visiting, they asked about the colors and what it all means. And when they saw white, they said, that doesn't look white. That looks gold. You know, like, what? why do you call that white? Why is, you know, it's yellow. I'm like, well, we call it gold, but we... We actually right, say right. this like, is, is the that, white pyramid. What is beige? You know? <laughs> <laughs> what color is that? Yeah, um, but I we should also throw in a little caveat here too that I think it's complicated when we assign values to color, particularly as we think about the color of people and we ascribe uh, purity to whiteness and. Mm -hmm. uh, darkness or evil to black, we've become sensitive to those kind of connections. And so I just think we should always keep that in mind as we're thinking about how we relate to color. Thank you, Pastor Bradley. Let's take a look at the readings for the third Sunday of Easter. We'll do this in three parts with a little music between each of the reflections. And in the space between the readings, just we invite you to take a few deep breaths and center yourself, take a little break whatever you need to do to get ready for the next reading. And there'll be a little music and we'll be here when you get back. Pastor Bradley, would you like to get us started with the first reading? Sure. Our first lesson is from the ninth chapter of Acts, verses one through six. However, if you're an overachiever, you could also read verses seven through 20, which we're not likely to read in church. We're just going to read the first portion, but it'll give you the full story. Sometimes the lectionary gives us optional verses to read, and we're choosing not to do those today because 
wow, they're really long readings. Today. Right, right. We're just going to do the first part of the story. And in this story, we're uh, being introduced to Saul, who eventually uh, we come to know as Paul, who wrote most of the letters in the New Testament. And in many ways, the Christianity that we know that came into the Roman Empire to the Gentiles really comes through the influence of Paul. And the lesson that we're going to hear today is his first encounter with the risen Jesus. But just remember, when we've heard of him in previous chapters, he is persecuting the Christians. In fact, he's been leading the movement to arrest, uh, jail uh, Christians, and also was present at the stoning of Stephen. He was holding the coats, um, and Acts tells us that he approved of what was happening. So that's what we know of him before we get to this text. So why don't we read it? Uh, Pastor Lois, would you read it? Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Thank you. And what happens right after this is Saul ends up meeting Ananias, who then teaches him about Christianity, and he eventually has the scales fall from his eyes. That little phrase comes from this story where Paul sees the truth and the scales fall from he's his eyes. He's blinded for a few days. Right. He, Yeah, he's blinded. He's literally at the end of this story, he's blind and he's being led to people who have been his enemies in order for them to teach him about what in this text is called the way. This was the first name for Christians. The, the word Christians didn't come for a while, that they were originally known as people who were on the way, um, which is actually something I wanted to note right away because I think that's a great way to think about who we are as Christians, that we're on this journey somewhere and that we're, we're called to pattern our life like Jesus did, to live his way, to see things as he would see them. Um, eventually, Christianity, I think, took that and it shifted more towards believing something about Jesus, namely that he was the Son of God, that he was the, the Savior, the Messiah. But those original Christians who were Jewish— um, saw this as a pattern a for their life. life. Yeah, and yeah. I I think we really should think about how to come back to that because right. we've made Christianity into this intellectual in 
enterprise rather than something that's really about how we live our life every day. Yeah, it seems like for most of Christian history, we've been stuck in orthodoxy, which is like literally means right belief. <laughs> and um, there's kind of a movement back towards orthopraxy. Wow, like you're getting fancy. I know. Fancy words. <laughs> but, which just means right practice, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, following Actions. the way, not just believing the right doctrines and saying the right creeds, but actually um, living our lives in the pattern of Jesus. I yeah. think that's really hard for Lutheran Christians, though. We get so hung up on saying, no, you can't earn your way. It's nothing that you do that makes God love you. It's just because you trust God's love. And that's that's so. But once you trust God's love, there's behaviors, there's a way we follow that I think right. we've we've lost a lot of. Yeah. One of the other things I wanted to point out about this text is that we get the this dramatic conversion story where he has this encounter with Jesus. He hears Jesus talking to him. And I think uh well I'll just speak for myself. I wish Jesus would just talk to me. I wish I could have this kind of experience where the voice is clear and I know for sure what uh, what's being asked of me. Um, but actually, if you if you look at the text, that's not what Paul gets. He gets this experience. He's blind, and then he's not really told what to do. Um, he learns about it from the people who come and walk beside him. So like the true revelation doesn't mm. come by being knocked off the horse on mm. the way to Damascus, but in his regular, probably difficult, complicated relationships with other Christians. And I sort of take some comfort in that, that maybe Jesus has been addressing me more directly than I've imagined through the people who've nudged me at times, or I think of my own little call story. And it's probably when I was a kid in Sunday school, when a Sunday school teacher said, have you, I think you should be a pastor someday. Um, it didn't knock me off my horse, but it, I think that started to turn me on onto a different path. I think there are a lot of places in the Bible where God speaks directly to people. And I've sometimes wondered, maybe God didn't actually speak directly to people back then either. But maybe the only way that they had to describe this experience of feeling like God was speaking to them, calling to them, the only way that they had to describe that was to put words in God's mouth and say, it was as if God was saying to me, Bradley, go and be a pastor, you know? Um, And I think maybe sometimes it actually comes in different kinds of experiences and different people. Maybe it's not actually God directly, like a voice from the clouds, but your Sunday school teacher saying, have you ever thought about being a pastor? Right. I think sometimes just our intuition Right, um, we could name as the voice of the Lord speaking to us. Um, just yesterday, uh, I thought of one of our members who I'd talked to a couple weeks ago who'd been struggling with some issues, and I don't know why. I was in the middle of answering email when suddenly I thought of her, uh, which you could say that was – if I was more – evangelical in orientation, I would say the Holy Spirit laid her upon my heart and I prayed I prayed for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like in this story, what's not not in the part that you read, but in the part that would come right after this is 
it's when Paul is or Saul is down that something has struck him off his off his game. You know, he's just not quite himself. Literally, he's blinded. But whatever you want to say, he just really didn't know what to do next. That people walked alongside him and and showed him a new way, in, introduced him to some new new thoughts or new ideas. And how how often God comes to us in times that we're not really on our game. That we've something has really disoriented us. We've lost our path or we don't know where we are. God right. comes to us through. I bet we could all look back and find moments when the scales fell from our eyes, when we saw things in a new and a different kind of way and could go back and say, God was doing something right there. Why don't we leave it at that? That's a great place to stop. We'll take a quick break and be back in a moment with the next reading. Welcome back. Our second reading today is from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Revelation was written right around the year 70, um, which is the year that Rome invaded Jerusalem and conquered the city, destroyed the temple. And it was also a time when Christians were experiencing persecution and the situation seemed just generally pretty dire in Jerusalem. And Revelation is, you probably know, a work of apocalyptic literature. And usually what's going on with apocalyptic literature is that life on earth has become so awful that there's seemingly no chance chance that things could ever improve. So writers begin to imagine sort of a cosmic or a transcendent reality that exists on some other plane. And that is a place where there's hope and where justice is done. It's like, if we can't get justice on earth, we'll imagine that there's some other realm where God is at work restoring justice. And and we imagine ourselves one day living in that kind of reality. So I think Revelation is basically a vision of this sort of cosmic reality where there's a battle between good versus evil, and ultimately in this reality, good prevails. In today's reading, the author presenting this vision of this sort of heavenly throne room where God's seated on the throne. Pastor Bradley, would you read this for us? Sure. This is Revelation 5, verses 11 through 14. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing, 
to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. We should write an oratorio. <laughs> There's a lot of exclamation marks in that. I reading. like yeah, that. that's maybe one My thing. My texts have a lot of exclamation right. points. Yeah, that's one thing when you're just hearing the text, you don't see all the exclamation points in here. But that's actually kind of rare to see exclamation points so many times in a Bible passage. Actually, this passage makes me think of uh, when I worked at Bible camp in the summers in college and. You know, it was 11 weeks there. There were, I think, maybe 50 or 60 of us on staff, and we just became this really tight community. We lived together. We worked together. We spent our weekends doing laundry together. We just – we did everything together, and we became best friends over the course of the summer. And every Friday after campers would leave, we would clean our cabins, and then we'd come together and have worship, and a local pastor would come in and um, lead communion for us. And I remember the very last week of the summer was always just in, incredibly emotional. Like we were all so, so sad. We would clean everything, clean the whole camp. And then it was like we'd come together, worship, have communion, and then we all left. And I remember um, one summer I was just – it was that last worship service of the summer and we were all just crying the entire service. And um, when it came time for communion, the pastor said – I know you're all sad that this is it and this is the last time that you'll all be in this room together like this ever. This is never going to – you're never going to be together like this again. But what I want you to remember is that every time you come to communion, you are at the table together. Even when you're in different parts of the world, when we gather at the table, it's as though the entire – all of us, past, present, future, no matter where we are, we're all at the table together. We're all celebrating this feast together. And that has really stuck with me. It gives me so much joy and hope to think that when I come on Sunday mornings at Gloria Day Lutheran Church and have communion, I'm also communing with people that I've loved, that I still love, People living, people no longer living. My grandma, who I think of, you know, I imagine her at some heavenly table also, you know, partaking of communion with me. It's just this amazing vision of like the whole, all of us gathered at this mystical table. And we just get a little vision of it on Sunday mornings. And so here in Revelation, what's being described is like this, it, it says that, all the living creatures and all the creatures in heaven and all the creatures below the earth and all the animals, like everyone is gathered singing around the throne. Um, and I imagine the tune maybe goes like blessing and honor and wisdom and strength. Just like we, because <laughs> that's sure where this comes yes. down. Just yes. like, uh, right, right. Just sounds <laughs> like setting four of honor. the. I've got the Messiah in my head. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We've all heard a bunch of musical settings, including like we sing this often in our Lutheran liturgy. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. where this comes from. Um, anyway, this, this passage describes sort of this mystical communion of all these people and creatures, both on the earth and in heaven and below the earth, like even the dead who are in this like place that is not normally perceived out of as like a good place to be below the earth. They're 
present too. Praising God. Praising God. You know, I was thinking when you were talking about that, you hear about people having near-death experiences and one of the common threads in almost all of them is that as they go towards the light, there's this sense of a community that's there, that they're going to be received into this. And um, whether that's literal or not, I think deep within the human brain is this image, this yearning to be welcomed into that kind of community that you were talking about. And it's not just general. It's specific. It's like the it's the people, people that we know. knew mm-hmm. that have loved us are going to be there. And I knew this woman in Athens, Ohio, who had a, an experience like that. And she said it took away all of her fear of death. I mean, she wasn't ready to like go and die, but she, but she has this sense that she's kind of looking forward to that moment, which I think mm-hmm. kind of is maybe what the writer of Revelation is trying to give to these people who are experiencing so much suffering. You know, you have this to look forward to, right? I always think of the, the Chronicles of Narnia, but those, which I think is sort of the fantasy novels are always a little apocalyptic. They they have that vision of you know, good versus evil and the strength of cosmic forces coming together. But um, Aslan leading, you know, this lion who's gentle and fierce at the same time, leading children into places of royalty in the sense of incredible glory of the whole universe praising their creation. And I just, uh, I I love that scene. Revelation, I think, is a book that deserves much more attention than that. But maybe now's a good time to take a break. And I think we actually read more Revelation next next week. week. So stay tuned. We'll take a quick break. Welcome back. We are now going to look at the gospel reading for Sunday. This comes from the 21st chapter of John. It's nearly the entire chapter uh, 21. If you read John 20, it's the story of Easter that we know, uh, Jesus at the tomb with Mary, and it ends as if that's the end of the gospel reading. It has a a nice kind of wrap-up sentence or two at the last verse of chapter 20. Then you start 21, and it kind of picks up again. I feel like it's an epilogue or an extra chapter. Uh, Some say that maybe it wasn't written by the same um, gospel writer, or at least not at the same time because of that, that sense that, well, it was already wrapped up. Why are we starting over again? So one of the questions to ask as we read this 21st chapter is to say, why would the the author of this gospel have wanted to add this point? What what points are being added that were being missed um, the first time through? Uh, why don't we Why don't we hear it, Pastor Javen? Do you want to read it for us? Sure. This is John chapter twenty one verses one through nineteen. After he appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, 
Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. Thanks, Pastor Javen. It's a long reading, but so beautiful and so dramatic. There's a lot of things There's going on there. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of stuff. There's, they're back at the shore of the lake. That's where Jesus called the disciples at the beginning. And if you, you know, all the way at the end, it says, follow me. So we, we go back to the beginning, fishing, uh, doing something that feels normal or or satisfying in some way. And then Jesus calling us again to life from that. There's the the fish. Why so many fish? Why such a huge amount of fish? 153 right, specific. That's interesting little, there's, there's some scholars that say that has to do with some verse from Elijah and other scholars saying, you know, it's just not a big so number. much. It's just a big number. It's a lot of fish. There are seven disciples, which is interesting. Why not 12? But seven's another really good number. There's these, the questions to Peter 
uh, three questions asked of him. This is just obviously a few days in the, in the story, a few days after he uh, denied Jesus three times. And that was also by the fire. So you can get the smell of the campfire again that Peter was warming himself by the fire um, on that Thursday night into Friday morning where they asked, aren't you one of his disciples? And he denied it. So Jesus asks him now three times, is that, is that the reason for this extra chapter to say it's, it was okay with Simon Peter? Jesus came around and um, reassured him of his love for him. So there's this return to fishing. There's the miraculous number of fish a lot like uh, Jesus with the feeding the um, feeding the crowds of five thousand with way too many fish. There's the questions of forgiveness for Peter, and then there's all this stuff about love, following, uh, uh, caring for my sheep, loving my sheep. Jesus as the shepherd. So all these images come wrap kind of wrapping up in this great big epilogue here to the gospel. Always, I think, reminding us that the resurrected life of Jesus doesn't take us away from ministry, but calls us more deeply into it. So it's not as if uh, the disciples said, oh, Jesus was raised from the dead. So really, nothing on this earth matters. We'll just wait until we're all up in heaven somehow or we're raised from the dead. Jesus is coming back to say, no, no, right here now is what it's about. It's about feeding people. It's about daily life. It's about tending the sheep, tending the lost, forgiving one another, caring for one another, which are all such powerful messages of what the resurrection really means for our daily lives. Right. You know, in some twist of fate in the early part of the church, we decided to commemorate the Last Supper. I sometimes kind of wish we'd commemorate the Last Breakfast. Oh, because like then we'd have fish. fish well, <laughs> oh, well, maybe not. Maybe it not. Would be the smelly. altar, I was the altar thinking service more people like probably a, wouldn't like the... Like hash browns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder if we can all see ourselves in this passage too, that it's like they these disciples have gone back to their earlier lives, right? They're back to fishing. Right. This is, yeah, this is happening in your regular life. Right. They're back doing their fishing thing. And Jesus meets them and reveals himself to them in the meal, and they realize it's him. They receive forgiveness for falling away. For Peter receives forgiveness for the you know that three times denial, um, and is kind of restored back to relationship with Jesus. And then told, "Follow me. Go tend my sheep, tend my flock." Um, I feel like that's sort of all of us. Right, we're all doing our everyday things. We sometimes have Jesus reveal Himself to us, and we feel really alive in the Spirit. And sometimes we then fall away and need to be welcomed back. And then we're still given this mission: go out and tend the sheep. We're interested to hear from you what you think all of this means. Uh, we hope you'll drop us a note at pastors at Gloria Day Saint Paul dot org. We also want to say thank you to Paul Friesen Carper for providing the music for us that you heard in this podcast. Join us for worship every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 a.m. with Sunday School for All Ages at 9.30 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? a podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. 
You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.